Thank you, Becky. Gitch. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. And um, I, you know, I was thinking about what Dr. Gesh just said about um, the speakers this week and all of them having something to give away. And I was thinking, you know, I remember a distinct point in yesterday's message that prepared you for this specific moment in time. Uh, yeah, some of you remember that point also, right? He said, there will be disappointments in ministry. <laughs> and uh, so the only thing I'm giving away today is vocal lessons. And uh, if you'll see Brother Cox after that, he'll sign you up uh, for those lessons. And uh, he, he's gotten me so many compliments with his scene. I thought I'd just have him come preach for me today and see how that goes uh, as well. And so uh, still having, we're still having a lot of fun with that. And uh, Dr. Getch, I am grateful to have the opportunity to, to preach. And thank you for this opportunity. Also, I want to say thank you to Dr. Rasmussen. Many of you don't know um, that it was by God's divine appointment of bringing the two of us together that we ended up here. And it goes back to the weekend of the hunt, uh, March of 2021, I believe it would be now. Uh, COVID years get us kind of messed up a little bit on our, our time frame there. Uh, but our, our families uh, had the opportunity to spend some time together and uh, just able to hear his burden uh, for uh, for you as students and what the Lord was doing here and that burdened our heart and we just talked about what the Lord was doing in our lives and the uncertainty of what was going to take place and trying to go back to the mission field with the borders being closed in Chile and through all of those circumstances and through uh, that meeting with Dr. Rasmussen that God began to orchestrate and move the pieces uh, to bring our family here. So we're all, or we'll be forever grateful for him because we do love being here. Uh, as, as, as some of you who are church ministry majors don't believe that, but we do uh, love all of you guys. If you're a church ministry major, would you stand up right now? Let's just go ahead and have church ministry guys stand up, all right? So, all right, all right. Luke, sit down. You're not supposed to be standing up, son. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, you church ministry guys, uh, don't believe all the things uh, that you hear. I don't dislike you. I just believe you're not following God's will for your life, and that's all. And so we're going to try to help you get right with that uh, today. Acts chapter number 17, you guys can have a seat. Uh, I, I, Dr. Getch, I think church ministry guys are just confused of whether or not they should be involved in evangelism or missions. And so we can just go ahead and make that decision for them because those things go together and just transfer their credits over into whichever program you see fit for them because they have a hard time making decisions on their own. So we have to make that decision for them. Acts chapter number 17, and we'll begin reading in verse number one. And uh, so uh, begin, of course, uh, just... Another missions message, right? Coming right out of missions conference. Want to keep this in front of you. But uh, one of the things that I like to keep in front of you guys, I like to mention to you, uh, one of the things I said when I was introduced on the staff here was uh, that what I desired to do in my time here was help you be prepared to turn the world upside down. And uh, that's, I continue with that same desire. And we're going to look at this passage where that phrase comes from and talk about some things that we need to do today if you're going to see this happen in your generation. In verse number one, the Bible says, Now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. 
And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few, but the Jews, which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and said all the city of, um, on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, uh, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. And coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So when we talk, talk about turning the world upside down, that phrase comes uh, from this passage uh, that we see as Jason, who had been a host uh, to Paul and those who were with him on this missionary journey had invited them to come into their home and had kept them as they were there in this city and they would go to the synagogue and reason there with the Jews and others who would come and hear the gospel priest and you see clearly uh, as Paul's manner was as the scriptures tell us that he did preach the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and again that is the work of missions. It is preaching and teaching the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There uh, are a lot of things that are termed missions that are uh, really ministries or they're not even ministries because they have very little to do with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's the example that we find uh, throughout all of Paul's missionary journeys and all the passages that give us insight in what it was when Paul, uh, what it was that Paul did when he arrived into a city. And so he arrived at this city. He did this. There were, again, multitudes that believed. Uh, but then there were a few, as always, that were upset with what was taking place. Uh, and they conspired against Paul and those that were with him. And uh, they went looking for them, didn't find them, find Jason and uh, those that were with Jason and bring them in. And as uh, they're making these accusations against them, this phrase is used that says, These are those that have turned the world upside down. Now, we know that they uh, literally had not turned the world upside down, right? This is a figure of speech. It's, it's an exaggeration that uh, they were expressing their dislike with what it was that they were doing. But they had done uh, uh, enough to sufficiently uh, be recognized for the work that was taking place. Uh, they weren't going undetected. They weren't going unnoticed. They weren't flying under the radar. Uh, they weren't trying to be secret missionaries. And so it was noticed what they were doing and at what they were doing was turning the world upside down where they were. Now you and I may not be able to literally turn the world upside down, but we can turn our world upside down. And we can turn the world upside down where God has placed us. And as a student body, as you go out into the ministries that God has called you, you will have an opportunity there to do the work that Paul has done here in preaching and teaching the gospel and turn your world upside down. And together, as we all work and we all labor together, we can be those who once again turn the world upside down. But it requires that all of us do our part. Turning the world upside down as we look at it here uh, in the book of Acts appears to uh, be an impossible task uh, to accomplish. However, the Apostle Paul and his 
a missionary team were able to accomplish just that very thing. It's a remarkable statement that is made of them by those who oppose them that they are those who are turning the world upside down for the cause of Christ. In other words, they were successfully evangelizing uh, the world that they lived in. And as a direct result of that, uh, Paul was able to see people saved. And we uh, see this missionary method that was given to us that we can apply, that we can use in our day, we can use in our time to accomplish the same task. One of the reasons we haven't, and we'll see this in the points of the message, uh, that we have not accomplished turning the world upside down the way that Paul in the first century church and missionaries did is because we're not doing the work that they did the way that they did it. We've, we've, we've been looking for and searching for and, and continually trying to find some other method or some other model or some other mode of accomplishing the Great Commission. And there is no other method. There is no other model. There is no other mode that is as effective as what we find that Paul did everywhere he went. And what was it that Paul did everywhere he went? He preached and he teached, or he preached and he taught the gospel. That's the method is preaching and it's teaching. For far, far, far too long, modern churches have failed to apply the missions principle that made the New Testament church so successful in reaching the world with the gospel. And at times it seems like much of the church of today has become content to continue with a flawed missions program that does not fully implement the principles that we find in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament on how we're to accomplish the task of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we need to go back to these first century methods. It's imperative uh, that local churches and you are going to be the leaders of local churches. You are going to be the leaders of the next great missions movement. So it's imperative for you and for I to understand that we need to follow these principles so that we can get uh, this message that the world so desperately needs of the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to them once again and turn the world upside down for the cause of Christ. And we'll find these missions principles as we look through the book of Acts. And so I want you to go with me to Acts chapter number one. And we'll look here at Acts chapter number one. The first thing we have to realize is that the mission uh, of the Great Commission, the evangelization of the world, is a mission that is given to the local church. In Acts chapter number one, we'll read some verses here and we'll see what we've been promised. But the first and foundational missions principle that we see uh, in the book of Acts is that the great commission is given to a local body of believers. It's not given to a para organization. It's not given to a governmental institution. It's given to you and I as members of a local assembly who have been uh, called out and voluntarily join ourselves together for specifically the carrying out of the Great Commission. And so we see here in the book of Acts that in verse number one uh, that we follow through, it says, the former treaty have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he um, saith he ye have heard of me. 
For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And when they therefore come together, they ask of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. In this verse, in verse number eight that we just read, uh, the church is commissioned here to evangelize the world. And within this verse, we'll see uh, that we have the source of the mission. We have the strength for the mission. We have the strategy for the mission. And we have the scope of the mission. All of those things are involved in this verse and are involved in the Great Commission. And now we know that this day has already come. This day has already passed and we've seen the evidence of it. And so now everyone who puts their faith and trust in Christ has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their life and has been empowered now to go forth and to preach the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and to fulfill this great commission. So notice the source of the mission. And the Lord Jesus Christ authorized the church with this evangelistic outreach. The realization that this commission came directly from Christ uh, under his authority is of utmost importance for us. Someone said a biblical, uh, uh, a biblical out of uh, Peter's out of the biblical theology of, of mission said this. The apostles thought obedience was not optional when they heard Christ's directive to be witnesses. He adds that they have uh, committed in obedience and loyalty to the Lord and Master. He also states that the apostles were urged by the persuasion in their hearts that they must obey God and fulfill uh, His blessed will. So commenting on these same verses, uh, another person has said that Jesus' silence after these words is to prevent anything from obscuring the orders for the church in order that they would continue to reverberate in the church's ears. Thus, it is evident that if missionary success is to come to fruition, this fundamental mission principle that Jesus gave the mission must be accepted and glorified. When we think about the mission and who it came from, it, Christ's last uh, command should be our first concern, right? I mean, go with me to Matthew chapter number 28. I'm not going to share any verses that you're not uh, familiar with, but uh, one of the things that helps us to learn something, uh, I've been told, is repetition. And repetition is the mother of all learning. So we need to hear these things again and again. And Paul uh, himself, in writing one of the churches, said that for him to write the same things unto them was not grievous, but for them it was needful. And we need to be reminded time and time again that the command of the Great Commission was uh, not something that was given as a suggestion, but it was uh, the commands that were given. Given uh, by Christ in Matthew chapter number 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And then you can uh, follow with me over into Mark chapter number 16 and verse number 15, uh, uh, another verse that's 
uh, very familiar to us. And uh, it's a, it says here, and he said unto them, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? A good Southern preacher say every creature needs a preacher. Well, we're the preachers and there's millions of untold creatures that still have yet to hurt and we need uh, to go and we need to share the gospel with them. And you go over uh, to Luke in chapter uh, number 24 in the verse uh, that you'll find here in Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, right? We, these are the things that we've witnessed and now we're to go and we're to preach and we're to tell all about those things. And in John chapter number 20, verse number 21, as you uh, keep following along with me, you'll see here again, the command to go and to preach. It says, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And so how did he send us? The last one we find in John and what we find in Acts chapter one, verse eight connects us back to Matthew 28 when Jesus said that he is sending us out with all power in heaven and in earth. In other words, we have all the resources that we need to accomplish the task that he has given us, then why are we not accomplishing it? Why is it that there are still untold millions who haven't heard the gospel? Why is it that uh, many of our own student bodies still sit complacent in our seats in the comfort of this auditorium, unwilling to sacrifice and to leave the comforts and the benefits of living in America to go to some foreign land to take the gospel to those who are still sitting and waiting for someone who has it to bring it to them. And we, we understand these commands. We understand this commission and we amen the preaching and we uh, show up for the missionary prayer band and the California for Christ uh, church planning uh, prayer meeting and we get involved. We have over 80 students uh, helping in the getting Kids City ready for uh, the missions uh, uh, week that we have here in our World Impact Conference. But so few are still willing to surrender their all to go to those who have yet to hear. Now, if we understand the truth of these commands, we understand that the source of, of Acts 1-8 is Jesus Christ himself. Why are we so resistant to lay our dreams aside? Why, why do we resist to, to look to, to the Lord as Paul and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Now, most often we come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want to do. And yet we have this great commission. We have the source. The source of the mission is Christ himself. It is he who has given us this commission to go out. But not only is he the source, he's also provided us with the sufficient strength that we need. Uh, Bruce said this, F.F. Bruce says, when the uh, Holy Spirit came upon them in this verse, they would be vested with heavenly power, the power by which in the event their mighty works were accomplished and their preaching made effective. Bruce went on to declare that just as Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism for his earthly ministry, the disciples uh, were also anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost for the work which they had uh, been chosen to do in the great commission that they had received. And just as they are empowered and had a sufficient strength and the sufficient source to accomplish the task 
task of, the, of, of world evangelism and the Great Commission in their time, you and I also have the same sufficient source to accomplish that task in our day. Right. It's the Holy Spirit of God. We're not going to accomplish the task uh, with our intellect. We're not going to accomplish the task with our wit. We're not going to accomplish the task with our finances. Many people think if we just give more. I was talking to the director of, uh, of BIMI. They, in the last three years, they've had more money given to missions than they ever have had given in a three-year span uh, to missions, and yet they have fewer people uh, that are responding to the call and going to the mission field than they've ever had in the history of the organization. Money's not the answer. Another program's not the answer. Technology's not the answer. The answer that we, and the source and the supply to accomplishing the task that has been given to us is through the Holy Spirit of God. And the reason that we fail in that so many times is because that's a source that's not as easily as accessible as we like to think it is. It requires sacrifice. Sacrifice for our own time. Sacrifice for our own interests. Sacrifice for our own hopes. Sacrifice for our own dreams. To understand and realize the feeling and the equipping of the Holy Spirit of God. Not only do we see in Acts 1-8 the, the source, and uh, not only do we see uh, the supply uh, for our strength here in the Holy Spirit, we also see a strategy. Uh, in this verse, he tells them the strategy for them, or he told them that the strategy was that they wouldn't be empowered so they would be effective witnesses for the Lord. Uh, someone said this about Acts 1-8, that Jesus plainly exclaims that the task of the church is to witness Therefore, the Lord's strategy for the church is evident. But what exactly does it mean to be a witness of Jesus? Uh, the witness of Jesus Christ are those uh, who have experienced uh, salvation and go and tell others. If you go to the book of Acts and you look at the uh, transformation of, of Paul and the road to Damascus and uh, what it was that Christ uh, told him as he was interacting with Paul on that road, he said, the things that I've revealed unto you today, these are the things that I want you to go out and witness and share of others. And as uh, Paul in Acts 26 rehearses his own testimony, he says of, uh, uh, of himself there that the work that, that, that Christ has given me to, to do is to go and to tell all the world all that he has done for me and all that he is doing for me. And that is your job and that is my job. And uh, we, we, we have apologetics and we have a theology classes. We have method of, uh, uh, of Bible study. We have oral exams and we have all of these things that we were trying to give you and to equip you and tools that were putting in your hands so that you can be a more effective witness. But there's no more effective witness in your life than telling someone personally what Jesus has done for you. And that is the work that he gave them to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why? Because it was the gospel that changed their lives. And that is that that they're supposed to go out and to share. Once the church's strategy of being a witness is fully comprehended, it is necessary to consider the worldwide scope of the mission that we have. And Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, that they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. You know, it's been stated that the apostles were uh, to make a grand sweep of, uh, of all of these areas as they were scattered from Jerusalem towards Rome and throughout the regions beyond them. And, and what, a, what, a, what a vast geographical area to convert. It, it, the, the world is a, is a large field. 
Nonetheless, Jesus said that the church's parameter for the mission extended to the ends of the earth. Hence, the scope remaining uh, for us is the same as it was for them, is we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he, not only do we see that the mission was given to the local church and it's uh, the priority of the local church to fulfill this mission, God also assigned the church with a model of getting workers to the field. The second missions principle seen here in the book of Acts comes from Acts chapter number 13. Go with me to Acts chapter 13. And this must also be implemented in order for us to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, it must be implemented in order to turn the world upside down for Christ. God gave us this model in Acts chapter 13 with the example of the church of Antioch here in Syria on how it is that we're to get people to the regions beyond us. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord did the separating of the laborers to this specific work that He had called them to. And we see in Acts 13, verse number 1, Now there were the, at the, in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that uh, was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So we see here in Acts chapter number 13, uh, the mode in which the Lord has prepared for sending forth people out to preach the gospel. Go to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 14. We uh, come across some questions here that uh, present a problem for us and for those who have yet to hear the gospel. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him um, whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And so we understand that God has created a method for us to export missionaries, those that have been called and that have been set aside to a specific work uh, to go and to preach the gospel to those who have yet to hear who we find in Romans chapter number 10. And, uh, and it's a clear understanding that most often when someone surrenders to missions, uh, the first question that is asked is, where are you going? Not what are you going to do? And the where comes much later and is, is, it's insignificant when it's compared to the who and the what of missions. When it comes to missions, you're first called to a who. That's the person of Jesus Christ. Then you're called to a work. And that is the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. It's, it's baptizing those uh, who, are, who believe in Christ and then discipling the converts that churches may be formed. That's the work of missions. That is what the Bible says that you're called to. That work can be done any place. There's not a place that's left on the planet that is uh, not still in need, that every place has a great need. There are still some places with greater need because they have less. And, and they're like these who in, are in Romans chapter 10, that how, how do we expect them to believe in someone they never heard of? And how are they going to hear about someone if we don't send people to go and to preach to them? 
And how we have this expectation that the world is going to be saved, but they're not going to be saved if you and I don't go to where they are to preach the gospel to them. Some of you are called to pastor or you're called to preach and, and you want a people to pastor, then you know, go back to Matthew 9, 36, where Jesus looked out unto the multitudes and he saw them as a sheep having no shepherd and look at a map and envision in your mind the untold millions that are, are throughout this world that have no shepherd and go pastor them. Most want to pastor someone else's church. Go start a church. I see Pastor Howe here and the work that they have with, with the internship. Go to these small rural areas where no one is concerned about them because they can't get a big enough crowd to get mentioned in some magazine or uh, get someone to invite them into their big conference. See them as sheep that are scattered about having no shepherd and go and preach and pastor and, and lead and work with those people. Because there's still millions of untolds that are waiting. And there are hundreds of you that have said that you're surrendered to preach the gospel. And yet you're not willing to go to those who want to hear you preach the gospel. You see, that's, that's the conflict. There's no lack of a way. There's just a lack of willingness. Dr. Getch mentioned during the conference last week as, as he watched these slides and these presentations and, and how his heart was so stirred and wanting to, to meet to, with me and, and send students to all of these places. And I say it often, I, 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 am someone, I do not enjoy missions conferences. Uh, my heart is rent during the conference as I see the people's faces that are represented by the missionaries. And I, and I notice and I'm aware that there is sheep having no shepherd. Uh, and I think to myself, I can still go. I could, I, I could go and preach the gospel to those people. I could go and witness to those people. I could take my family and we can go there and we can start churches and we can train leaders. And so I said, well, Brother Smith, why don't you go? But because I know in all of my heart, the Lord has led us here. He's cl clearly showed us that. And what I'm trying to do is encourage you to go, to surrender, to realize there's a place for you to serve. You don't have to sit and wait around for some door to open up in some known place. There are unknown people who are wanting you to come to make known to them God so that they can be saved and know eternal life themselves. But are you going to be willing to surrender your hopes and your dreams? We Listen, we talk about having a, we, we don't have a lack of, of, of money. We don't have a lack of means. We have a lack of men. And that's not true. We don't have a lack of men. We have a lack of surrendered men. There's a difference. We have a lack of people who are, who are unwilling to lay aside their small dreams. We have a lack of people uh, who are unwilling to possibly be a martyr for the cause of Christ. Uh, Brother Pauzel just recently mentioned a friend of mine in the Coxes and my wife, and, and we both have spent a number of years with Stephen and Jocelyn and, and, and training for the ministry and working with them, and both were there. The first time he went into the Middle East and carried a, a radio station across the desert of Jordan to set it up that the gospel could be announced and proclaimed in Baghdad. And he knew when he left to go to the field, he was going to die there. And yet he was willing to do it. But which of us are? Who of you are going to say, Lord, here is my life. I lay it down. I will be a martyr for the cause of Christ. 
Where is that mentality? Where is that willingness? Where is that level of dedication and surrender? Listen, I don't know where the Lord's going to call you. I don't know where, what the Lord's going to ask for you. But it does require that you have that level of dedication. Our family went to what we thought was a relatively peaceful and, and nonviolent country and city. We went to the mission field not knowing what we would get into. Not knowing that our neighbor's homes would be broken into by, by vandals and they uh, would be murdered and that the person would uh, come to my house and through my backyard and try to escape and run from the police and I would have to hide my family and my children in a closet and, and close the door and, and, and pray for God to protect us in that moment and, and, and that I would have a little girl for the next five years of her life that would go uh, after I'd went to bed every night and make sure that the windows and doors were locked because she was frightened that the bad man might come into our house. Cars being uh, jacked and robbed and, and stolen every day. Uh, we didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't have no expectation, but we were willing to give whatever it was that the Lord asked of us. Are you willing to do the same? Listen, there's a mode. We don't, we don't have, there's not a problem in getting missionaries to the field. If you want to surrender today, we can get you to the field. That's not the issue. The issue is whether or not you're really willing to surrender. And then I'm going to close with this quickly. We talk about God's method of executing the work. When we think about God's method. We've looked at lots of verses. We talked about many verses. Acts chapter number 13. Uh, verse number 38, every uh, missionary journey recorded in Acts, Paul preached the gospel. In the first journey in Acts 13, he's, he's preaching in Antioch and Pisidia. Acts 17, he preaches in Thessalonica. On his third journey, uh, he's in Acts 27, it's recorded Paul preaching in, in Troas. And he preaches in the synagogues, he preaches in the streets. And Acts chapter number 20, we're studying this in our class right now. In verse number 20, he talked about, as he called the elders of Ephesus there before he went into Jerusalem where he was arrested. And he talked about how he had... He had spent night and day preaching and teaching with tears and sharing the gospel with them. Hey, listen, that's God's method. It's called withness. It's going into a place and preaching and teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need another method. We just need to employ the one that the Lord has already given us. It's, it, that method is ordained and endorsed by the word of God and by the spirit of God. It's you taking time to pour your life into someone else. That's how it's going to get accomplished. So many guys today are sitting around trying to figure some other way out to, to accomplish the work of the Great Commission. People are trying to find a painless way to follow Jesus Christ. Someone told us, Brother Cox, there is no painless way. And there's not. But there is a joyful way. And the way in finding joy and fulfilling the Great Commission is doing things God's way. The local church, that's us, that's you and I. I know we're in a college, and thank the Lord our college is a part of a great local church ministry. There would be no other way to do it and do it right. But we were commissioned to take the gospel into all the world. There's a mode of getting the missionaries to the field. But somebody's got to surrender to go. And there's a method for us to employ to accomplish what Christ has given us to accomplish. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I'll have you stand at your feet. And whoever's coming to the pianist will come now. And we'll be brief with the invitation. But as you're standing there and as Dr. Gates comes to close out 
uh, chapel service this morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you fully surrendered? Now, I know some of you say, oh, yes, I fully surrendered. Have you really, truly, fully surrendered to what Christ would have you to do? Some of you have surrendered to ministry, but you've not surrendered to Christ. In other words, you've said, Lord, I'll serve you, but in this capacity. Lord, I'll serve you as long as it can be under these circumstances. And we've just come out of missions conference. We're going into this break for Thanksgiving. We're coming toward the end of the semester. You've had lots of opportunities. You've heard lots of great messages. But listen, there is a task that has been given to you and I to do, and that is to turn the world upside down. And that, our world is not going to be turned upside down if more of you don't turn your world upside down by saying, Christ, what wilt thou have me to do?